0: So let's go ahead and open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 45. Uh, Last time we were together, uh, we we just saw this beautiful intercession of Judah on behalf of Benjamin and uh, Jacob, his father. Joseph had a steward place, you'll remember, his silver cup and Benjamin's sack. And the brothers, you know, they depart from the city and Joseph tells the steward to chase after them. And when he caught up to them, he lays out this accusation against them. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, and then uh, lays out this accusation. Why did you guys steal the cup? And uh, Genesis 44, verses 8 and 9, you know, the brothers, they say, look, you got to be kidding. You, we brought back to you uh, from the land of Cana the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How, how then could we steal silver or gold from uh, your Lord's house With whomever of your servants it's found, let him die. We also will be my Lord's slaves. I mean, they were very confident it didn't happen. So they all let their sacks down, just full of, again, confidence. And to their great horror, to their great surprise, the cup is found in Benjamin's sack. Joseph Stewart then basically said, you know what, I'm not interested in killing anybody today, you know. I'll just find the guilty party and and he'll be our slave and the rest of you go about uh, your business. And Joseph's plan was to see if if, um, Benjamin was treated the way he was treated by the brothers when he was young. Or do they treat him as a member of the family? Do they treat him as just another another brother? So he gives the brothers an, an excuse to abandon Benjamin, but they won't abandon Benjamin right? They saddle their donkeys and they go back to the city with Benjamin. And um, when they stood before Joseph, again, at this time, they don't know Joseph is their brother. Judah begins to intercede and he offers himself as a substitute for Benjamin. He, he basically says, if Benjamin stays here, you know what? It's going to kill my dad. Let me stay instead. Instead, my staying here, it's not going to affect my dad that much. It's certainly not going to kill him. But you know what, if Benjamin stays here, that's going to kill my dad for sure. And Joseph, he hears this and, and he knows without a shadow of a doubt that there's been deep, deep character changes in uh, his brothers. And Joseph sees that there's no jealousy in in their heart in regards to uh, to Benjamin. There's no jealousy towards Benjamin. And not only that, Benjamin is viewed by the brothers as no different. He's one of the guys. And in fact, he's being viewed as more special to the father right? Then the others, and they're, they're all okay with it. And the brothers, they had confessed their sin, and they had repented. Remember, um, Joseph overhears Judah speaking about the iniquity and the sin that uh, they committed against their brother. And, and you got to remember, again, it was Judah that had, it was his idea to sell Joseph into slavery. Um, so you see this gr- amazing change in Judah, and it's It's all more than Joseph can handle. Let's silence our phones, okay? It's all more than Joseph can handle. Everybody here uh, is hoping to see, uh, you know, uh, everything that Joseph is hoping to see in his brothers, it just comes true. And uh, he's, he's so excited about it. And so... Here we go. He's so excited about it, right? So Genesis 45, verse one, then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. Joseph breaks down and he loses emotional control here. And you know, a lot's happened in Joseph's life over the past 22 years. God has worked it all out for the good, but a lot has happened in his life. And Joseph, he understands this. He understands that what his brothers did to him, it was wrong right? But you know what? Joseph has lived in the last 22 years. He's heard things. He's felt things. He's hoped things. He's dreamed a lot, a lot of things in the last uh, 22 years. And now it has all come together. um, And it's just, it just overwhelms him in this moment, right? Joseph knows he's about to reveal himself to his brothers at this point, but he wants to do it privately. And Joseph cried out, uh, make everyone go out from here. And Joseph is probably still speaking Egyptian at this point, right? And everyone, of course, obeys him. All the servants obey him. They, they uh, vacate the room. And the, and the brothers, I'm sure, they, they're seeing this and they're probably thinking like, what the heck is going on now? What kind of trouble are we in now? So it says, verse one, no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers and he wept aloud and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph orders everyone out. He's left alone with his brothers and Joseph begins to sob and weep uncontrollably. He begins to wail just loudly and people are hearing it. And and again, you know, just imagine the scene if you can, right? Men don't usually cry in front of other people. You know, um, they certainly don't cry and sob uncontrollably in front of other people. That's not the norm. And again, the brothers, they don't know right now that this is Joseph yet. I mean, they're just, they're just seeing this Egyptian official. I mean, he's just melting down right there. They're just like, what is happening here? It was probably one of those awkward moments like you, you just try to pretend like it's not going on or something. You know, this guy's melting down right in front of our eyes. In verse 3, says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Joseph begins to speak to them probably at this point in Hebrew. And this is the first time they hear Joseph speak Hebrew. Up to this point, Joseph has been speaking to them through uh, an interpreter, and he says, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? And it must have been like a bomb that just went off in that room right then, you know? I mean, can you just imagine it? Up until this point, the brothers, they're certain Joseph is dead, right? I mean, they said it a couple times in previous chapters. In their minds they thought there's no way Joseph could be sold into slavery, going into Egypt as a foreigner, and survive any length of time. Joseph is history in the brother's mind. And they now hear this Egyptian saying, it's me, guys. It's me. It's Joseph. I'm your brother. Does my father still live? And it's interesting to me because the brothers had just recently told Joseph in the last chapter that Jacob, their father, still is alive. And Joseph knows it. But you know, here he just wants to be reassured that the father that he loves and the, the father that loves him is still alive. And he's going to be able to see him soon. He wants that reassurance. And it's like Joseph is saying, please, please tell me again. Is it true? Is my father still alive? Am I going to have a chance to see him? Is he, is he still breathing? But at this point it says, but his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed in his presence. Well, I guess so, right? The brothers are so stunned by this turn of events. They're literally speechless. I mean, they're unable to say anything. In my mind, you know, their mouths are just agape. They're like, what? Just dumbfounded, you know? And, uh, (laughs) Their mouth is open. No sounds coming out. They're just in shock. And imagine uh, what these guys are feeling now at this point. I mean, just imagine they're trying to come to grips with this. They're probably thinking about everything they did to Joseph 22 years ago. They're reliving every detail in their mind and they're doing it in an instant of time they're probably putting it all together uh, with what this Egyptian has been doing to them for the last two years roughly and this is the same guy who they wanted to kill oh my goodness I mean they're 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 probably thinking they're dreaming I mean they're They're probably, I can just imagine them saying, please, will somebody wake us up? We're having a terrible dream that our younger brother who we sold into slavery is now the second most powerful man in the world. Tell me it's not happening. Well, guys, it's true. And, And he's standing right in front of you. And you know, the brothers, they gotta be shaking in their boots right now, shaking in their sandals with fear right now. They must be thinking, okay, it's Joseph. You think he's still angry? (laughs) Yeah, They, they have to be wondering if their lives are in danger, right? And we know they're safe. I mean, we know they're safe. We know that Joseph sees his life in light of God's greater plan. I mean, Joseph has already processed and thought through how all these terrible things that have occurred into his life actually ended up working out for his good. But they don't know this about Joseph. They don't know this. They don't know that Joseph is a man that's walking close to God, right? Joseph, we see this and it's so beautiful to me. I mean, he's such a sensitive Man, he must have seen the fear and dismay on his brother's faces and seen it in their heart. And he says in verse four, says, and Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. Joseph is saying to them, I'm not a danger to you guys at all. It's okay. You don't have to worry, right? He invites them to do what they would never do of their own initiative right? He invites him to draw near to him. He invites him to come close to him. You know, a person that has been sinned against often has to do that kind of thing because the person who has sinned against another, has sinned against them, is not going to assume that type of freedom, right? So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, Joseph is not like just rubbing their nose in it. What Joseph is doing when he says this is he's proving to his brothers that he is in fact who he claims to be. These guys hear that and they say, it's true. It has to be Joseph because no one else in the world knows we sold Joseph into slavery. And the brothers know this and they just realize it's him. It's truly him. And Joseph continues to say, verse 5, but now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourself because you sold me here. I mean, Joseph, I mean, he's a remarkable man and he's been remarkable through this entire story. I mean, he's more concerned with the pain and fear that his brothers are feeling right now than what he's gone through in the last 22 years. I mean he's he's amazing. He's trying to comfort them right now through all of this. And I think Joseph's heart right now is saying, "Guys, I want this to be a joyful time. You know what? Don't worry or be concerned about what you guys did. You know, I it, it would be a blessing to me if you guys would just rejoice with me in this in this time. And maybe there's someone you know, this is how we got to ask the questions when we're Bible study. When we see something like this, we got to say, hey, is there somebody that's sinned against you? Is there somebody that's sinned against you? And now they're distant as a result. Maybe tonight you might want to consider the example that Joseph gives us here and uh, how he's done what he's done. And just forgive that person that sinned against you and invite them into Uh, your life again. Invite them to draw near. A person who's been sinned against, if they fail to look at the situation in light of uh, what God has done, that person will almost always sink into bitterness, right? When we see the events through the lens of God and His work in our lives, through His hand upon our lives, then There's grace that can be extended to those that have sinned against us. And you know, that's the way we want to be. Joseph hasn't become bitter through his experiences. He sees them through the lens of God's providence. His eyes are fixed on the Lord, not on what his brothers did to him. He's entrusted his life to Christ. And I'll tell you what, you know, as a missionary, you go through a lot of hard times. And you learn early on in the mission fields. You know, you can't share the things that you're experiencing with people back home because they whip out Romans 8.28 real fast. Hey, man, God works all things together for the good. You know, and like, okay, yeah, thanks a lot. You know, people, people use that verse as sometimes they, they whip it out and they make it sound so trite. But in reality, it's, it's true, of course. Romans eight twenty eight says, and we know, we know that all things work together for the good to those that love God and those that are um, called according to his purpose. It doesn't say that all things that come into our lives will be good. That's not what it says. Looking at situations, you know, circumstances on, in, on an individual basis, you know, Well, they can be really, really hard and difficult. But Romans 8 28 tells us that God will work all things together, right? Everything that comes into our lives, He's gonna work that together for our good. God is so strong. God is so almighty. God is so wise. He's so able. He's so loving. He will take everything that comes into our lives and work them together for our good. And the reason he does it, and it's the same reason that we can believe it, and that's because he's shaping us into the image of his son, Christ Jesus. I like to say the best thing about Romans eight twenty eight is verse 29, because it goes on to say, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And boy, that's our heart as believers. We want to be Christ-like. We want people to see Jesus in us. You know, Joseph has processed uh, every bit of the last 22 years through the lens of God's hand upon his life. And he sees what his brothers did to him, and, and yes, it was wrong, but he also sees this bigger picture of what God is doing. And that is something that only God can reveal to us, right? That bigger picture is only something that he can reveal to us, and he will reveal it to us if we're willing to receive it. And that's how God has been working all these things together for the good in Joseph's life. God has revealed his hand to Joseph and shown him what he's been doing, and now, and we know this because of what Joseph says now. He says, for God. At the very least, we want to circle those two words in our mind. Joseph is saying to his brothers, here's the bigger picture, guys. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Joseph is saying, from your perspective, you sold me for 20 pieces of shekel and you sent me into slavery in Egypt to get rid of me. But God was sending me ahead of you to save your lives. Joseph's an amazing man. In verse six, he says, for these two years, the, famines have, uh, the famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And notice now, Joseph again attributes the events to God's providence by saying in verse seven, and God, he says, and God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Joseph shows them now the bigger picture, right? There was a great famine that was coming into the world, right? And in God How is he going to protect our our family? How is he going to protect this very important bloodline of Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob through which the Messiah is going to come into the world through, right? How is God going to protect this family from just starving to death in this family? Well, God sent Joseph ahead through whom God would provide that protection to the family. In verse 8, He says, so now it was not you who sent me here. Joseph is saying, hey, you think you sent me here, right? You think it's all about you guys. And in a sense it is, but that's not why I'm here. And again, notice the next two words, but God, right? Verse five, it's for God. Verse seven, it's and God. And here it's but God. Joseph is processing all that's, gone through all all the last 22 years, he's processing through the light of God's hand upon his life. He's taken the time to sit down with God in the difficult times. And he's asked God, what is it that you're doing in the midst of this trial? What are you wanting to accomplish in me? What is it you want to create in my life through this time? You know, help me to see it in light of what you're doing. And that's how Joseph chose to look at the events. And God met Joseph and revealed what he was doing to him. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph says, you know, it was God who sent me here. To, he's the one that gave me this position, guys. When Joseph says that that God had made him a father to Pharaoh, what he's saying is that God has given him such prestige. He's given him such stature, right? It's like this role reversal. Here Joseph is, this younger man, but God has given him such favor. Pharaoh listens to Joseph as a son would listen to a father. You know, that's the kind of favor that God gave Joseph with Pharaoh. And now Joseph gives his brothers some instructions. He says, verse 9, hurry up. Well, he doesn't say hurry up. He says, hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph. Again, that's another bomb that's going to go off. <laughs> that's going to go off big time when Jacob hears that. You know, he says, God, go up and tell, uh, he says, Uh, Go up and tell my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. Now, if you're not aware of the land of Goshen, it's that delta region uh, of the Nile, right? It's very rich. It's a very fertile area. I mean, it's, it's a really nice prime farmland, really good for raising uh, livestock, lots of grazing there. You know, it's an area that would separate them from the paganism that is rampant in Egypt to a large degree. Jacob would be able to continue his shepherding lifestyle, right? What it is, is a great incentive for Jacob to come. Joseph is reassuring his dad that it's not like he's going to come down to Egypt and die in some arid desert, right? He says, and you shall be near me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all uh, that you have. Verse 11, there I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there is still five years of famine. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin, see that it is my mouth, that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen, and you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Joseph has has revealed himself to his brothers, and now he wants to see his dad just as soon as he can. Joseph wants to see the family back together again. And boy, you know, it just really blesses me You know, I think it's such a a touching thing. You know, that's my heart's desire is to have our daughter and son-in-law there in Seattle and our grandchildren to come and live close to us. My mom, my sister, and brother-in-law to come and live close to us where our family can be together. Verse 14, Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. and Benjamin wept on his neck. And it's just this emotional, it's very, very emotional scene going on here. But Joseph is not just gracious in his dealings uh, with Benjamin, but he also includes his brothers. Verse 15, Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked to him. You know, how beautiful is that? I mean, his brothers talked with him. Now, if you remember, or if you want to look back, Genesis 37, Uh, Verse four, the last part of the verse says that the brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Man, there was such hatred there before. There was no relationship there before. Now for the first time in Joseph's life, Joseph is kissing his brothers and his brothers are kissing him. I mean, his brothers talked with him. It says, they They probably talked about all that went on during the last 22 years. From Joseph's side of the story, it was, you know, how he ended up in Potiphar's house and how he was falsely accused of raping uh, his wife, how he was sentenced to prison and how he found favor in that prison. And he thought he was going to be freed after interpreting the dreams of the butler and the baker. But the butler uh, totally forgot him. And Pharaoh then had a dream. And in my mind, as I'm thinking about this story, I'm thinking every time he mentions a dream or an interpretation, you're like, you know, Pharaoh had a dream. And then the butler remembered how Joseph interpreted his dream. And he told Pharaoh about Joseph and they rushed Joseph out of prison. He's telling them, you know, he stood before Pharaoh while, while Pharaoh tells Joseph his dream. He probably... He probably told him about the dream. He probably told him about the interpretation of the dream. He told him how God gave him wisdom to suggest a course of action to store up 20% of the grain harvest so that there would be food in Egypt. And then Pharaoh promoted him. And again, I just, I just wonder what the, the brothers are thinking through all this time. What I mean, they're hearing, I just, again, dumbfounded, I'm sure. Verse 16, now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. I mean, the news spreads to Pharaoh's house that Joseph's brothers had come. You know, maybe they didn't even know Joseph had a family. I mean, he was a slave for heaven's sake, right? And uh, whatever the case, the news that Joseph's family has come, it pleases Pharaoh. All because of their love and appreciation that they have for Joseph. What Joseph had done for the nation, what he's done for Pharaoh, what he's done for all the people, won him respect and favor with Pharaoh and the entire nation. He, was, he represented his family and he represented his God very, very well. And the people loved him. In verse 17, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to my brothers, Do this. Load your animals and depart. Go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your household and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you will eat the fat of the land. Pharaoh says, you know what? Tell your your brothers to go home and grab your dad and tell him I'm gonna bless you and your family for Joseph's sake, right? Tell your brothers to go to your dad and, and I'm gonna bless him by giving him the best of the land. In verse 19, he says, now you are commanded, do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Bring your father and come. Pharaoh sends carts with his brothers to retrieve Joseph's family. And the idea is, hey, we don't want to take any longer than this has to take. We don't want you walking up here. And we want to speed things along. In verse 20, also do not concern, uh, be concerned about your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. He says, tell them, tell them don't waste any time packing. You know what? All the stuff that you guys have in Canaan is worthless compared to the stuff we have here for you, right? Once you get to Egypt, you can have anything you want. The important thing is for you just to get here in verse 21, then the sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh. And he gave them provisions for their journey. He gave all of them to each man, changes of garments. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garment. I mean, Joseph is blessing them, just showing them a little bit of the richest of Egypt, right before he sends them off right? To have a change of clothes in those days, that was a big deal. You know, I was thinking back when I was a kid, you know what, my mom would take me to, uh, I don't know if it's all over California and, uh, you know, Southern California, the cool place to go to buy clothes back in the day was Miller's Outpost. Do you know Miller's Outpost? You know, And, you know, getting a new pair of Levi's, getting a pair of 501s, button-down flies, you know, that was a big deal. And if my mom took me there to get some Levi's, if I could get a hang-ten shirt or a pair of OP shorts, you know what? I mean, that was a good shopping day right there. You know, it was a big deal to get uh, new clothes. And you compare that to the times here in the Bible. Getting a change of clothes was, I mean, it was just... Uh, not even in the realm of the imagination, having just multiple sets of clothes. Joseph uh, gave his brothers a change of clothes and five changes of clothes to Benjamin. And now he's going to give them something to give to uh, their dad, verse 23. And he sent to his father these things, 10 donkeys loaded down with good things of Egypt, And 10 female donkeys uh, loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. One of the reasons he sends all these gifts to Jacob is to encourage, to kind of strengthen Jacob's faith, right? He knows that his brothers are going to uh, go home and say to their father, you know, Joseph's alive and he's the second most powerful man in the world, dad. And, and their father's going to say, yeah, right, tell me another one. You know what? What are you guys doing? You guys just making fun of me, just kind of like poking, picking the scab? It's been 22 years, you know. Uh, what are you guys doing? And the boys would say, uh, no, serious, Dad. It's true. Come out and look. You know, where do you think we got all this stuff? Where do you think we got the carts and, and all this stuff? Joseph gave us all this stuff. And all these donkeys loaded down with bread and food is for you for the trip back to Egypt. Joseph knows that his dad would need that kind of proof. In verse 24, so he sent his dad, uh, sorry, so he sent his brothers away and they departed. And he said to them, see that you do not become troubled along the way. Joseph tells his brothers, I know when you guys leave here, you're gonna start thinking about the past what you guys did, you know, you're going to maybe fall into some guilt, you know, maybe start arguing who did what over the past, you know. Well, you said we should sell him. Well, you said we should kill him, you know. You know, he says, don't allow yourselves to go there, guys. On the way home, don't allow yourself to go there. Joseph also knows that his brothers are going to have to stand before their dad, they're going to have to face their dad and he knows that they're going to have to tell him what really happened, you know, whose idea it was and, and how they let their father think that Joseph had been killed by a wild animal. How they let their father think that his favorite son had died while being obedient to a command of his to go and check on the other brothers, making sure that they were uh, doing right by the flocks. And Joseph just says, Don't even think about all that stuff on the way home, guys. Don't do it. Don't be troubled on the journey home. Just go there and get back as fast as you can. In verse 25, Then they went up to Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob their father, and they told him. Now, you don't want to forget, Jacob is just hoping that Benjamin's going to return. If Simeon comes back and Benjamin comes back, you know what? That's that's uh that's good, right? But he's just he just really wants Benjamin to come back and make sure nothing's happened to him, right? And and they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, he's the governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them, right? It was just too much to believe, you know. The news is just too good to believe. And in other words, you know, where it says his heart stood still, it was like he had a heart attack. He just couldn't believe his eyes and just took, grabbed his heart, maybe, took a step back. Remember Sanford and son? What would he say? <laughs> what would he what was his wife saying? It wasn't Wheezy, it was, because that was uh the Jefferson's, yeah. But anyways, like, I'm coming, you know, whatever. Sarah, I'm coming. Oh, that's the wrong wife. Uh, <laughs> Rachel, I'm coming. Anyway, um, yeah, his heart stood still. I mean, you know, the idea that he would have a chance to see Joseph again. I mean, it was just too much to take in. There's no way. He's dead and gone. In verse 27, but when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, The spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. After seeing the carts, Jacob allows himself to believe the news. Joseph is alive. Joseph is alive. Then Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. You know what? It's interesting to me. Jacob is past the point where he just sees the wealth. He doesn't say, wow, that's cool. My son is just the second most powerful guy in all the world. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't care about that stuff anymore. Jacob is is in a different place. All Jacob is thinking is, my son, who I thought was dead these past 22 years, is alive. I get to look him in the eyes. I get to kiss him again. I get to hug him again. I get to hold him again. And that's all that matters to Jacob here. He just sees Joseph as the most valuable, important thing in the world, just being able to hug him again and hold him again. Nothing else in life can compare to that. You know, I mean, just imagine what he must have thought, how he must have felt. I can't believe I'm going to see my son Joseph again in this life. And that's what uh, Joseph meant to Jacob. And that's what the brothers have robbed Jacob of these last 22 years. So as we've seen, Joseph is a type or a picture of, of uh, Jesus. And God has painted this, just this beautiful portrait of the Messiah and the, the life of Joseph. Probably the most detailed, the clearest picture of the Messiah in the Old Testament and we saw in verses 1 and 2 and verses 14 and 15, Joseph just breaks down and he just begins to weep. Over and over again, we've seen Joseph as a compassionate man. He's breaking down in tears. And what a picture that is of Jesus and how Jesus's heart is broken over the loss. Jesus is a man of compassion. We see it over and over again in the New Testament, frequently reading, he's moved with compassion. We read how Jesus broke out in tears, weeping over Jerusalem, weeping over his brother and the Jews. And in verse 15, of uh, Genesis 45, verse 15, we read, moreover, he kissed his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. We see here this, this incredible scene of reconciliation. Joseph is kissing his brothers and talking with them. Previously, the brothers hated Joseph and wouldn't speak to him. But they've confessed their sins. They've uh, repented of their sins. And now relationship has been restored. And they're enjoying each other. Communication has been restored. and They're able to love on each other, right? It's a prophetic picture of r- reconciliation, It's a prophetic picture of reconciliation between Jesus and the nation of Israel. Over and over again, we've seen how not only Joseph is a picture of Jesus, but the brothers are a picture of Israel. They hated Joseph. They envied him. They conspired against him in order to kill him. They sold him for pieces of silver. They are a picture of how Jesus' brothers, the Jews, treated him. So we have this historical picture of uh, reconciliation here between Joseph and his brothers, but we have this prophetic picture of a yet future reconciliation between Jesus and the Jews. And isn't it interesting? Joseph's brothers were reconciled to him during a period, a seven-year period of famine and severe uh, tribulation. The New Testament shows us that the Jewish people, right, they're going to be reconciled to Jesus during a yet future seven-year period, which is known in the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 9 is the 70th week of Daniel. and Jeremiah, it's known uh, as the time of Jacob's trouble, right? We read about this period of seven years in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 6 through 19. And right here, I'm going to plug the Tuesday study. Come out. Man, I tell you what, the book of Revelation is for us today. And if you're not comfortable with that book, if you can't outline that book, I think uh, we've met maybe like, what, seven times now? And I think everybody in the room can outline the book of Revelation just by heart. And so, boy, if you can't outline... You know, I studied the book of Revelation. I heard uh, Chuck Missler say a long time ago... uh, he said, "You know, he was into the Book of Revelation because when he got to heaven, he wanted to be a tour guide, not a tourist. He wanted to know what was going on. Oh, over here, you got the twenty-four elders. Yeah, come on this way. And uh, you know, and uh, so, yeah. If, if if you're a tourist instead of a tour guide, come out on Tuesdays. Anyway, um, this this seven-year period of of tribulation between Revelation six and 19. It's a time when God pours out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world, but it's a time when God specifically deals with the nation of Israel. It's a coming seven-year period when the Jewish people will be saved. God's not finished with the nation of Israel. You know, anybody that says he is, they're not reading their Bibles. Romans eleven twenty-five 25 through 26 Paul says, for I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Right now we're in the time of the Gentiles, right? When the last Gentile gets saved, we get raptured. And then God begins to deal with the nation of Israel. And in verse 26, Romans chapter 11 says, and so all Israel will be saved. It's a picture of how the Jews are going to be reconciled to Jesus during this seven-year period is what we have here in Genesis 45. And just as the brothers saw Joseph, I mean, this is neat. Just as the brothers saw Joseph as Lord of all Egypt and all of his glory, the glory of Egypt, verses 9 and 13, so too the Jewish people are going to see Jesus at his second coming and all of his glory and all of his glory, they're going to see him as Lord of all. And Jesus spoke of this when he talked to them. Matthew 23, 37, Jesus said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I want to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. You know, Jesus said that he often wanted to gather Israel and the Jewish people under his wing that they might experience his security and his care and his protection, but they were not willing. You know what? How tragic would it be if that's a word of the Lord to you tonight, right? And you don't heed it. You know, Jesus desiring to gather you under his wing that you might know his protection and his security, his care, his love, but you're not willing. If you hear the Lord speaking to your heart uh, tonight about your willingness to come to him, whether you're an unbeliever or you're a believer and you're just, you know, distant from him, you know what, the key is to repent and turn to him, receive his love and care and be reconciled to him. Enter into that loving relationship that he desires for each one of us. Well, as you continue reading in Matthew 23, Jesus says, See, your house is left to you desolate. Your house here, he's speaking of the temple. And it wasn't long after Jesus was crucified that the temple was destroyed and made desolate. And Jesus continues, For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. At the end of the tribulation period, just as Jesus said, there's going to be a remnant of Jews that will cry out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They'll be reconciled to the Lord as they confess Jesus as Lord, as they repent of their sins, as they receive him as the Messiah. And again, if you're not a believer today, you know, you're listening to my voice, You can be reconciled to the Lord if you'll confess your sins and your iniquity, if you'll ask Him to forgive you, if you'll repent. And repentance, you know, I mean, people have made repentance into some kind of ugly word. Repentance just means a change of mind, a change of direction. You're headed this way, you repent. You change your mind and you change your direction. You head the other way, right? You just got to change your heart. If, If a person... If you're willing to confess your sins, if you're willing to repent and turn to God, you can enjoy reconciliation and restoration of communication with our greater than Joseph, with Jesus. Sin separates us from God, but our confession and repentance opens the door for relationship where we can love on Jesus and he can love on us openly confession and repentance, it opens the doors to salvation. You can be saved and have your sins forgiven. You know what? My encouragement to everybody that doesn't know the Lord is don't be like the Jews who are not willing to come to him and receive him as Lord. Don't do it. Don't insist on going through, you know, difficult times, just terrible trials and tribulations before you're willing to surrender. Surrender to him today and enter into this joy-filled, grace-filled, love-filled relationship that God wants to have for you. Well, if you'll remember the first time Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, it was back in Genesis chapter 37. He, he's speaking to them of how one day they would bow to him. They reject him and they hated him. Then years pass until finally Joseph was revealed to his brothers a second time. A second time they saw Joseph in all his glory, the, the Lord of all. And that is when they received them. They received him the second time. And again, this is a picture uh, of Jesus, right? You remember in, in Acts, I think it's chapter seven, Stephen, he gives this teaching uh, how uh, Joseph re- was rejected the first time he was revealed to his brothers. But the second time they received him, Stephen goes on to say the same thing about Moses. Uh, Moses was a deliverer, and he delivered a Hebrew slave from the hand of the Egyptians. He ended up killing them, burying them in a shallow grave. But, you know, they rejected him. Uh, uh, They rejected Moses, but it was the second time they received Moses as the Savior, as their their leader. And as as you go throughout the Bible, you look at the history of the Jewish nation, and uh, you see that they often rejected the... The deliverer or the judge, the, the, the leader that God sent to him, sent to them. But later they received him, right at a later date. And all of it again points to Jesus, how the Jews rejected Jesus during his first coming and how they'll receive him at his second coming. We also want to note in verse 22, it says, He gave to them, he gave to all of them, to each man changes of garments, but to Je- Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. Joseph, uh, he's giving garments out to his brothers. And again, this is a picture of Jesus who was stripped of his garments, right? And now he gives garments of righteousness to everyone who will put the, place their faith in him, everyone who's reconciled to him. It's a beautiful picture. Well, Genesis 46, we got a little bit of time. Genesis 46 yeah, Gary, you need a little bit more than a little bit of time. I know that's what you're thinking, but we're going to go real quickly because uh, most of Genesis 46 is genealogy, right? So it'll go pretty quickly. Verse 1, so Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Now, we're going to read in just a minute uh, that the Lord tells us Jacob, uh, he, he He tells him, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Go ahead, go down to Egypt. And it gives us a little insight into what's what's happening here. Jacob, at this point, verse 1, he he becomes gripped with fear, right? He comes to Beersheba on his way to Egypt. Beersheba is the southernmost city uh, in Israel before entering into Egypt. And he gets to Beersheba, and his heart is gripped with fear because he's realized he hasn't sought the Lord. He... He got so taken up with the news that Benjamin is okay. Simeon's okay. Joseph is alive. He just, he just acts. He just wants to get down to Egypt as fast as he can. He sees all the, he saw all the carts and all the provisions for the trip. And he just takes off. He's just so excited. Um, but he hadn't sought the Lord for direction. And maybe he's thinking about how Abraham got into trouble when he was down in Egypt you know, lying about his wife, Sarah. Maybe he's thinking back about how the Lord told his father, Isaac, specifically, do not go down to Egypt. Whatever he's thinking, he stops in Beersheba and offers sacrifices to the Lord. And you'll notice it says he offers sacrifices. It's plural. So I'm sure one of those sacrifices that he offered was a burnt offering. And a burnt offering was the whole sacrifice was consumed. The burnt offering was a sacrifice of consecration. I'm sure at this point, Jacob is saying, Lord, you know how much I want to go down and see my son Joseph. But Lord, more than that, I want to know what what you want me to do. I want to see your will be done. What's your heart on this issue? And it blesses the Lord when we seek his face. On, on an issue, when we seek His heart for direction. And we have the promise that if we'll seek His face, He'll be found by us. You know, if we'll call on Him, Genesis, uh, sorry, Jeremiah 33.3. 3. Remember back in the old days, you know, you'd have phone numbers, you know, Rich, Richfield 9 or whatever, you know. Genesis 33, three it's God's phone number. If we'll call on Him, He will answer and show us great mighty things, which you don't know. You know, I love that promise. Then verse two, then God spoke to Israel in the vision of the night. And he said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Notice God doesn't say Israel, Israel, because at this point in time, he's not being governed by God. He's just heading off in his own zeal and his own wisdom, his own excitement. You know, he's moving forward out of of that excitement. He's not in the direction of, Are under the direction of God. You know, right now, Jacob is fearful, realizing this. And he says to himself, What am I doing? And I can just hear Jacob saying, I've done it again. Verse three So he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. This is one of the many. Do not fear passages in the Bible. There's about 70 of them. They're also very precious to me, right? Because I got to ask yourself, why would God tell Jacob not to fear? Why would he tell Paul not to fear? Why would he tell you not to fear? Because we get fearful. And you know, he doesn't want us to be fearful. He wants us to be trusting. He wants us to trust in him and have faith in him. And that's a major theme throughout the Bible. And verse 4 Uh, I will go down with you to Egypt. God reassures him, I'll be with you. Again, it's a, a, he's telling him, uh, just reminding him of the promise back at Peniel where God uh, told him, I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna bless you, right? He says, I'll go with you to Egypt and I'll also surely bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. God tells Jacob that he's gonna die in Egypt. And the boy you love so much, Jacob, he'll be right there next to you when you die. He'll be the one that closes your eyes. Don't be afraid, Jacob. I'll be with you. We see here just wisdom on Jacob's part, right? He realizes he hadn't sought the Lord. So what does he do? He just stops. He just stops right where he is. So he inquires of the Lord and find out what God's heart is in that situation. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, verses that I always are turning to. They're constantly on my mind. And it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And if we'll do that, God promises, He shall, He will direct our paths. You know, I never want to get out in front of the Lord. It's my biggest fear. I don't want to be out in front of the Lord where He has to rein me in through the bitten the bridle through the through the uh, painful processes of life you know i want to be guided by his eyes James 1 5 says if any of you lack wisdom let him ask of god who gives it liberally and without reproach and he'll give it to him right if we'll seek god if we'll seek the lord first he'll give us wisdom and show us the way we to go i just love that promise i i rely on it Verse 5, then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father to Jacob, their little ones, their wives, and their carts, which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and went to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him. Now, verse 7 through 25, you can look over. You know, we won't read the, the names in that genealogy. Most of it we've looked at in the past, but you can read through it on your own. Uh, but what's interesting, you'll note there in verse 13 is there's a reference to Job. You know, a lot of a lot of scholars believe that that's the Job that we read about in the book of Job. But in verse 26, we'll pick it up again. Verse 26 says, all the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt, who came from his body, besides Jacob's son's wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two persons. All the persons of the house of Jacob who went to Egypt were 70. Then he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen. So Joseph uh, made his chariot ready, went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel and presented him to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. It's been 22 years since Joseph has seen his dad. In verse 30, Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I've seen your face because you're still alive. Imagine Jacob seeing Joseph after thinking he's been dead for the past 22 years. Jacob just says, let me die. My life is complete now. In verse 31, then Joseph said to his brothers and his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, my brothers and those of my father's house who were in the land have come to you. And the men are shepherds for their occupation has been to feed livestock and they have brought their flocks, their herds and all that they have. So it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation that you shall say? Your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth. Even until now, both we and also our fathers, that we may dwell in the land of Goshen. And just quickly, I want to point out to you, we see another picture of Jesus here. Right? We see Joseph is the mediator between uh, his brothers and Pharaoh. And again, it's just a this beautiful, perfect picture of one who's greater than Joseph, Jesus, our mediator, the one mediator between God and man. Here. Joseph is mediating on behalf of his brothers uh, uh, to Pharaoh. Now, as Joseph is explaining to them what to say to Pharaoh, he tells them at the end of that verse, every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. And you know what? For the sake of time, I'm going to leave that one to you. But think through that. Isn't it interesting that a shepherd is an abomination to the world, I mean, it's just such an amazing picture. You know what, I would just encourage you, tonight, if if you're here, if you're watching online, if you're a believer, if if you're distant from the Lord, man, if your walk is cooled, if your heart, the fire in your heart has, has dimmed, I would encourage you, you know what? Confess it, you know, repent of it, and turn around and run for Jesus experience the love and care and the relationship he desires for you in his life, in your life. And if you're an unbeliever and you're hearing my voice, if you've never given your heart to Christ, I encourage you, be reconciled as if God was pleading through me to you. Be reconciled to Christ. Be reconciled to God. Confess your sin. Tell him you're you're sorry for what you've done and turn from your sin and turn to God and receive forgiveness. You know, all it takes is is asking for it. God is willing to give to anyone who will humble themselves and come to him and ask, God, would you forgive me a sinner? Have mercy on me. Come into my life. I believe you set Jesus Christ to die on the cross to take my sins. And he died, and the third day he was resurrected. God, forgive me. Give me your Holy Spirit, that I might live my life for you. And you know what? If you'll do that, God will meet you. He'll cleanse you. He'll write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And you know what? You'll enjoy just this wonderful love relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you for our study tonight, Lord. I just thank you for your word of God. It's so refreshing to have it wash over us, to just show us your heart for us, Lord. I just pray that we would apply your word in every aspect of our lives. We would apply it. Lord, we would be obedient to it. Lord, we love you. We give you praise. Lord, I thank you for this church, Lord. Will you just be doing a great work in our midst, Lord? We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.